0: First, uh, Laura Tingle, chief political correspondent for Seven Thirty. Laura, let's start with job seeker. The unemployment payment goes up forty bucks per fortnight in September, and that's about it. Uh, well, yes, Philip. It, it's one of those issues
1: that sort of we we thought was done and dusted. I mean, there was obviously a lot of pressure on the government to lift the uh, job seeker rate. Uh, in the lead up to the May budget, um, and they they had made the uh, increase of forty dollars. They'd nominated. It's still got to go through the Parliament. Now, uh, at the time of the budget, the opposition said, "Oh well, we think that it should be tweaked so that people can work more hours without being penalised, But which sort of sounded, you know, on on top of the forty dollars. That's all sounded, you know, admirable at one level, but. Um, critics said that it created all sorts of problems down the track and it wasn't really properly f- fleshed out as a policy proposal by the Coalition. But we had this sort of slightly strange day today where the Australian led this, uh, its paper this morning with uh, the uh, prediction that Peter Darton was going to announce that um, that the uh, Coalition would actually reverse... $40 if it won government and was quoting figures about how much that would save. Um, other news outlets were getting the same briefing this morning and then all of a sudden it all changed and Peter Dutton came out and said, no, 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 we won't reverse that decision after all. So it's it's uh, it was a bit of an odd one uh, for the mark of the um, new parliament coming back. You know, it just seemed a bit of chaos on policy on the coalition side, which seemed a little bit odd.
0: But the government has no intention of boosting the rate.
1: Oh no, it it will boost it—the forty dollars it's predicted—but it has to go through the parliament still. So,
0: and will it get through without amendment?
1: Yeah, I I think it will. The coalition is still going to try to move its amendment, but has basically said uh, it knows it doesn't have the numbers, so it will go through the token process of moving the amendment, but will then just um, let
0: it go through. We're having our mingle with Tingle. Meanwhile, the uh, Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, has announced an independent review into the Department's handling of contracts for asylum seeker processing on Nauru. What or who will be undertaking the review, Laura? Um,
1: That will be Dennis Richardson, Philip Adams, Um, and uh, he, of course, is one of the... uh, well, I won't say old war horses, but sort of an old war horse of the uh, federal bureaucracy, uh, n- sort of now retired, but he's been head of defence, head of foreign affairs, head of ASIO, ambassador to Washington, all sorts of things.
0: And he's well, going what to What an amazing CV.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, well, he, he has been around for a very long time, at um, Dennis Richardson, He's he's, he's been everywhere. Um, and I think uh, he's going to be looking interestingly at... Um, controversies old and new, shall we say, and public and not public in a review of the Home Affairs Department's systems and processes to make sure that, you know, there's integrity there. Now, this all relates to a a sort of a recent series of uh, revelations, um, particularly in the nine newspapers, um, but also that have come out of Senate estimates and other reporting from other outlets about um, various contracts which have ended up um, being that have involved payments going to various figures on Nauru um, or various companies on Nauru attracted to the sort of elites on uh, Nauru which started off as basically taxpayer funded contracts. Now there's all sorts of confusions about this Philip because you know Nauru is a small place um, and it's pretty hard to have very competitive markets shall we say but I think there is now this sort of Record of a lot of contracts going back. Um, I've been. I think there've been all, three audit reports since at least 2016, looking at these questions of how um, home affairs contracts have been let, whether they've been competitive enough, whether they've been value for money, and there. And Peter Dutton says today, well, if we're going to look at this, which I think we should, we should go right back to when these contracts started in 2012, when Labor sent, set up the offshore processing centres. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what exactly Dennis Richardson comes up with. Of course, the Greens would rather, much rather have a Royal Commission, which is one of those things you might have thought had gone out of fashion with, a, uh, with the National Anti-Corruption Commission. Uh, to really look at the whole offshore processing system. The government says they're not going to be reviewing that question, but they are going to be reviewing all of these contracts.
0: Now, the, the AFP said last week it had provided uh, Dutton with an oral briefing on a particular businessman way back in 2018, but uh, Dutton can't recall it.
1: He says he can't recall it and he says there's no record that his office can find of, ever, of it ever happening, so he's asked to have a chat with the AFP to uh, see what they can remember. Now, this is um, one of the revelations that came out of Senate Estimates hearings, uh, I think in originally held in May. There were some questions on notice about this briefing to Peter Dutton and the answers to those questions emerged about a week ago and have been sort of at the centre of a lot of this new flurry of uh, revelations and reporting about about some of these contracts, which, um, you know, it's all very complicated, believe me, Philip, but um, various companies who are getting various deals, which aren't necessarily to do with the processing centres, but involve the same people as the people who have got deals with processing centres.
0: Well, that's something for Dennis Richardson to get his teeth into. But, Laura, why isn't this going straight to the uh, National Anti-Corruption Commission?
1: Good question, Philip. I I think, um, I mean, there's nothing to say that the National Anti-Corruption Commission might not just sort of decide to take a bit of a look at it itself. Um, But I think this is sort of, once again, one of those interesting tests for when this commission is and isn't useful. Um, I suppose this is something where there's been such a lot of political controversy about it. The government still wants to be seen to be giving public answers about this and it can't guarantee one... It can't tell the Anti-Corruption Commission to look at this, for for starters. Um, And, of course, it also can't tell the Anti-Corruption Commission to make its findings public. So, you know, maybe it's one of those shortcomings of the Commission that you you still need to be able to, as a government, have have this capacity to investigate something, Uh, particularly, I suspect, if you think that it might sort of um, yield some dirt on the former government, Uh, but these things are always a bit dangerous, especially if you started the system in the first place.
0: Now, meanwhile, the uh, the government is determined to reintroduce its uh, housing bill to Parliament, even though it got blocked by the Libs and the Greens before the, the winter break. They're determined to pass the bill. What's the strategy here?
1: Well, um, there there are all sorts of legs to this, uh, Philip. Um, I mean, everybody focused on the fact that by announcing, you know, on Friday that they were going to do this, uh, Anthony Albanese was basically throwing down the gauntlet and all that sort of stuff about creating a double dissolution trigger that's um, basically a piece of legislation that is rejected twice by the parliament can become the reason to have a slightly early election. So everybody was focusing on that. I think in the sort of shorter term, um, the politics of this are, um, it's good to have an early election trigger just so that you've got lots of options. I mean, particularly at a time when there's a risk the economy might fall off the cliff, you don't know what's going to happen in the referendum on um, the Indigenous voice to parliament, and there's a whole range of other things going on, including the fact that Peter Dutton's wallowing in the polls a bit at the moment. So there's sort of a politically pragmatic uh, aspect to your election timing planning, uh, but I think apart from anything else, the thing that tends to be overlooked is there is a housing crisis. Um, people are screaming about governments doing something, and this housing fund really is the only thing the government's got going for it because rental uh, controls and and uh, subsidies are really a matter for the states. So you've got to have your your potential answer or your potential sort of attempt to answer in part um, the housing crisis in play uh, so that you've got something to talk about. But it is tricky because I think the Greens have been making good headway on this issue and it's not necessarily one of those things where everybody will just go, well, you know, not everybody just says, well, just pass it Greens and opposition because we think this money should be flowing. You know, there's a lot of uh, support for the idea that the government should be doing more.
0: Now, finally, and we've got to... Bit of time to discuss this, the Productivity Commission has had some interesting things to say about the voice.
1: It has, Philip. Um, I mean, nobody sort of the Productivity Commission sounds a bit boring, doesn't it, just by its name? But uh, um, it's often been uh, the uh, the stage for you know really interesting and transformative debates about you know where policy should go. One of the jobs it's always had is to be responsible for measuring the performance of the closing the gap targets each year. But what it's done um, in the last week is it produced a draft report where it's looked at the current closing the gap agreement. Now, this was actually something that Scott Morrison set up in 2020 because he said, you know, closing the gap wasn't working very well. And he uh, sort of said, look, you know, it will work much better. There's, you know, ho- ho- look out for the irony here. It w- Things work much better when we work in conjunction with Uh, Indigenous Community Controlled Organisations. Now, what this report did was look at the extent to which governments were actually doing what they had agreed to do, which was to work with all these community organisations. And guess what? They're not doing it, Philip. Uh, at, at any level of government, um, it also finds that if in areas where where they have, it, they've actually got better outcomes. So this is, you know, potentially really important for the debate about the voice. All the findings of this uh, report. So it'll be fascinating to see what the final report says. And the current one certainly indicates that, you know, there's, there's an
0: interesting debate to be had. Beloved listeners, I literally bumped into Laura downstairs the other day and I have glad tidings. She's finally been able to toss away the walking stick. Good on you, Laura. Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent, 7.30, back next Monday.
1: ABCRN helps you understand the
0: world.